man in England. I have the honour of today talking to a former Pittsburgh Steelers, Seattle Seahawks and Philadelphia Eagles linebacker, former Cardinals outside linebacker coach, veteran of five conference championships, member of the 1990s all-decade NFL team and star, yes, star of Super Bowl Thirty. A terrific warm welcome to Levon Kirkland. Hey, how you doing, sir? Awesome, awesome. I've got, to, I've got to start with Lamar. So you're from Lamar in South Carolina, a town with a population of about a thousand people that somehow managed to produce not one, but four athletes that have gone on to play linebacker in the NFL, including fellow All-Pro John Abraham. What is it about Lamar that breeds outstanding linebackers? You know, honestly, Lamar has always had really good athletes there, to be quite honest with you, even before my time. For me, I think that it was a combination of things. It's just that somebody had to pave the way because, you know, there were athletes there. There were guys who went to, you know, mostly smaller colleges. And we actually actually had a professional woman's basketball player before my time. So I'm not really actually the first one to go into a professional setting. Her name was Joyce Robinson. And I'm telling you, we had a bunch of really good athletes from that from that area. I don't really know what's in the water or anything, but what I do believe what happened was when I first went to the NFL, it gave someone like a John Abraham belief that he could do it as well. And then we had other guys to do it. So it's just, you know, it's just like running that four-minute mile, the first person running the four-minute mile. One person does it, then everybody else say, like, hey, if they did it, then I can do it as well. So that's kind of how I think it really happened. But to be honest with you, Lamar has always had a, a great deal of athletes. They still do today. They really do. And probably about 10 more years, you'll hear another guy or a young lady that goes into the professional ranks. Cool, cool. I was, I was hoping you'd say something to do with, with some home cooking. So- uh, you know, it could be that as well. But, you know, I think a lot of times when you think about professional athletes, especially in American sports, a lot of times they come from small areas like that or they come from low income and they want to do something big in life and it drives them to do that. So that's definitely a part of it as well. And talking about the cooking, a lot over your career has been said about your playing weight. So... Looking at you on film, you had the physical stature of a nose tackle, but you had incredibly nimble feet and really soft hands. What was your peak weight, do you reckon, and and how did it help you record over 650 solo tackles in the NFL? Well, (laughs) I I tell people this all the time. I, I was a big linebacker, and I weighed probably around 280 probably my biggest, maybe even 300. And, but coming up though, I was an all around athlete. I played 
I played football, of course, but I played basketball. I was a three-year starter from a high school. I jumped. My vertical, I think, was like a three-six or maybe better than that. Uh, so, and then I ran track. And I really believe that all those sports really helped me out in football. And when I played college football, I played actually outside linebacker. And then on third downs, I played like a defensive end. So when I got to Pittsburgh, they decided to move me to the inside. And I think because I was a pretty good athlete, probably a better athlete than most inside linebackers, it really worked out for me. And the reason why the size was because I had to take on a lot of guards and pullbacks and tackles uh, on that on that side of the ball. So I had to be a, a pretty big dude. But because I could move and I had very good quickness, and my, my quickness was probably off the charts as far as big men are concerned. So it, it just worked out for me. And the game is not as spread out as it is now. They still ran the ball a good bit. But I can cover guys. I can, you know, I can cover tight ends, even wide, wide receivers and, and running backs. So I was – you know, I just had really good feet and can really move, can really turn my hips, probably a lot better than most guys at my size. So it just kind of worked out for me. I mean, it's just, you know, being at a place where it was okay to be that size and be a little different. Even though it got talked about a great deal, you know, the coaching staff really was like, hey, if you can keep moving like that, we have no problems with it. So they had no problems with it, and I thought I was a good linebacker. The, the way I saw it is you were the, you were the defensive version of the bus. The mm. bus you, you stand in front of the bus and you go, that guy can't be that fast. He can't right, be that yeah. he, he can't be. It's, it's impossible. This, the man's too big. But, my God, he could, he, when he broke a tackle and he put the jets on, you know, I, I kind of – the fact that you two were kind of, you know, shared some of that time, in, incredible stuff. Now, in terms of your number, you wore number 99 um, with the Steelers. I know the number changed at the end of your career with the Eagles, but you wore 99. Now, if we look at the 99s out there, we've got some incredible players. Warren Sapp, Aaron Donald, Jason Taylor, and yourself. What's your 99 shirt story then? Oh, wow, it's kind of interesting because at that time you know linebackers we couldn't wear like any 40 numbers only numbers we can wear was between 50 and 59 90 and 99 so when I first got to the Pittsburgh Steelers I was number 45 and I was number 44 in high school and college but when I got to the Steelers it was just 45 and it was a temporary number but I, I hated the number so Going into the season, you know, preseason over is my rookie year. And we're before the first game. The equipment, the equipment manager called me in, and he was like, "Levon, we got to uh, – he probably called me rookie. We got to change your number. You can't wear 45. And I'm like, cool, another number, good. So the, they have four numbers laid out for me, for me to choose. The first number was number 58, Jack Lambert. If you know anything about Jack Lambert, he's a Hall of Famer. I mean, just incredible linebacker. And in my mind, I was like, there's no way I'm going to wear his number. 
no, you know, I'm not going to wear his number. And the next number was 59. And that's Jack Ham's number. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to wear 59. So the two numbers that were left was 56 and 99. And a lot of guys were wearing 56 back in those days. And Lawrence Taylor wore it the best. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to wear Lawrence Taylor's number. So I looked at 99. I was 44 in college and high school. And I thought, you know what? I can rock 99 at the inside linebacker. It's going to be a pretty a pretty bad number. I, I like this number, right? It was kind of like different, a little rebellious, I thought. And so I say, I picked 99. And so the first day I, I went to practice, <laughs> they kind of laughed. They're like, why are you wearing, wearing 99? I said, don't worry. It's going to grow on you. And it, it was so funny because, the, you know, we had Greg Lloyd wearing 95. Then Kevin came in and he wore 91. And then that was the same year Chad Brown came in and he adopted 94. And it was so funny, our whole front seven wore all 90 numbers. And so a lot of times people would call us the defense of the 90s. Or they would call us Blitzburg because we blitz all the time. But yeah, that's my, that's my jersey number story. I, <clears throat> you know, it's like you go to a library and sometimes the book picks you instead of you picking the book. That's exactly what happened to me. The jersey picked me and I picked it and it worked out very well. And boy, did it suit you. I just think just seeing that 99 and, and back when you were playing and tell me if I'm wrong, the pads seemed to be a bit bigger they than were. they are today. So you, everything that you did made you look even more intimidating. So you right. had the bigger pads, the 99, the biggest possible number. You can't wear 100, so you right. wore 99. And it just, I think it just added to that entire mystique and that presence. And wearing the black jerseys, I think there's just, you know. You, it, it fit you me must, well. You must yeah. have loved just suiting up in that black 99. Yeah, it, it fit me well. It was a number that I thought about, and I was like, you know, it was more spiritual to me than anything, picking that number. So when I picked it, I was like, yeah, this is going to fit me just well. And throughout the my career, it, you know, people would be like, yeah, big 99. So <laughs> it just, me being a bigger linebacker than most, it just really fit. It really did. And And talking of 99s, we've obviously had a, a rather large pickup by the Arizona Cardinals picking up JJ Watt. Um, what sort of impact do you think he's going to make as a, as a 99 over there in the Cardinals over there in the desert? Uh, I think he's going to be a, a really good influence. He's been a, a really good player throughout his career, probably going to be a hall of famer. And I think he still has some juice left in him. I don't know if he's, the player he was, but he has some injuries. If he can stay injury-free, I think he's going to really enhance their their defense. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he does as far as fitting in that scheme. And one of my good friends, Briston Buckner, 
will probably be his coach. So I'm sure Brinson is going to get him on board. But I think he's a plus for any defense, especially that defense. It really fits him. Um, wait a second. Wasn't Buckner 99 as well? He was 99 with the Panthers. He was number 96 with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, well, I knew there was another, another 99 there. Mm-hmm. So talking about the Cardinals, you spent two seasons with the Cardinals in, in 15 and 16 as the first minority coach on the Bill Bidwell Coaching Fellowship. So in, in that first season, the Cardinals went all the way to the NFC Championship. Talk us about how did that incredible opportunity come about and, and what, are those, what are some of the big memories from, from that, that period? for you? Oh, well, you know, honestly, Brinston Buckner wanted me to come there to do an internship during the training camp. And normally that's when you do internships. You don't really do it any earlier. And I was like, yeah, that's cool with me. I, you know, I can give it a try. He said, you know what? Why don't you come to minicamp and do all the OTAs with us and everything? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, uh, but I was letting him know, you know, I'm a single dad. Um, you know, my wife just passed away like uh, several months before that. So I was concerned about my daughter and how to do that. But I thought it would be an opportunity. So I, I took the opportunity. And <laughs> one day, it was about the end of OTAs. So I'm about to go back home, go back to be with my daughter. And Brimston told me that, hey, I think BA wants to hire you on for a couple, you know, a year or two. I'm like, oh, okay, well. But I didn't hear anything back. So I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. I go to training camp, come back, be with my daughter, you know, and go on from that standpoint. So what happened was I ended up getting the call from BA about three days before training camp. I'm, I'm going to be going there on Sunday. So he tells me that they want to hire me. They're going to put me on a little bit of a salary, all that jazz. And I'm like, wow, it's an opportunity. But I'm like, man, I got a young daughter, you know, and she's only like 11 years old. So, you know, it was kind of an issue, but I thought maybe it would be something that, you know, I could capitalize on. So I went there and it was really, I really learned a lot about the game of football uh, during that time. I just got finished coaching with FAMU. So, Going to the Cardinals was a, it, it was bigger, you know, it's just professional football. You, I really miss the professional setting. So, but I learned a lot of football, by the way, you know, just, and a lot of it was kind of a refresher, but just really understanding coaching and understanding uh, situation about football. It's one thing to be a player, but when you're on the other side being a coach, you realize that both sides work pretty hard, but it was a, it was a great opportunity for me. Uh, Bruce Arians was a excellent coach. I, I really love the coaching staff. And it was a great experience for me. I, I wouldn't take that back at all. And do you think, obviously, you were part of this um, kind of this the, the Bill Bidwell coaching fellowship. Do you think NFL teams are, are still doing enough to support minority Player, I think players to become coaches is 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 there enough being done or have we got the balance right what where are we I, I don't think we have the balance right at all I don't 
But I think, is it better? Yeah, because, you know, it's evolved a little bit. But I think the coaching hire is kind of still difficult because it's more about networking and who you know and who you coach with in a lot of ways. And a lot of times those guys kind of do that. They kind of make sure that they're um, – they make sure that they're kind of looking after their buddies a little bit. And it's tough because you just can't really bring your resume and say, hey, this is what I've done. And it's, it's hard to get in that football, that NFL football industry as far as a coach is concerned, and especially minority coach because it never started off that way. It started off with, you know, basically a lot of Caucasian guys being coaches and, and then they had their idea of what makes a good coach, what makes a good player. I mean, you think about it now, being a black quarterback is really kind of now in vogue when at one time it really wasn't. You know, it goes back to even the position I played, middle linebacker, inside linebacker, wasn't a lot of African-Americans playing that position. So, it, you know, a lot of times it's really slow, I, I believe. But I think we're in an era where we have to keep reminding people it's about the best people, about the best, the person who can get it done. In that arena, a lot of times it's about who you know and who knows you. And you coach, you know, I, <laughs> there's always relationships in the coaching fraternity. You know, I know that guy from here. I know them from here. It's hard to really come off the streets and say, here's my resume. And for them to say, okay, especially for an NFL player because a lot of times you played already. You played for 11, 12 years, and now you got to kind of go backwards, which is fine. But, you know, a lot of opportunities for you to come on in as a, a coach on that level and be there for two years, you know, a lot of guys don't get that, that kind of opportunity. I was one of the fortunate ones to get that opportunity. But I think they need to continue to do things like that. They need to let guys come in, be a paid intern, let them understand the game and get that network. You can't, you can't tell me the network. And when I try to network <laughs> with the guys I want to network with, they just kind of blow you off. You know, basically, they they do. They just kind of blow you off, and you know that gets old. So um, I, I think it's tough, and hopefully, at some point in time, you know, it won't be called black coaches anymore. It's be called coaches. That's what we hope for. I mean, I. You look at um, former running back Eric Bieniemy um, takes his team two consecutive Super Bowls. Yep, okay, Super Bowl Fifty Five didn't quite work out, but why isn't he a head coach? I I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, I think sometimes you have to look at it a little bit deeper as far as the organizations that are hiring and who's doing the hiring. You may you may be a great coach, and normally it seems like. What he's done, normally, if he was a white coach, he probably would be a head coach right now. Uh, plain and simple. He would have been a head coach by now, and that's unfortunate because who's ever interviewing him is probably like, well, he doesn't fit, he doesn't fit, he doesn't fit. And, um, you know, he's going through the channels you're supposed to go through but it's not working out for him. 
and people are like wondering why, but you know, normally depends on who the GM and is, and also depends on who the owner is. You know, they make those decisions. And if they're not going to hire him, they're just not going to hire him. No matter what he's done, they're just not going to hire him. So uh, there has to be a better method of going through this. They got to get they got to get away from oh I knew this guy this guy was my best friend back in the day or we worked together in St Louis so I'm gonna bring him over. And I mean maybe all industry is like that, but it's really that way in the NFL and just because there's not a not, not a lot of teams as well so you run into you know really there's a lack of opportunities and unfortunately for somebody like Eric who has proven himself on the offensive side of the ball and normally that's the way to go it just hasn't worked out for him for whatever reason and then yeah don't don't even get me started on the the whole I'm going to hire my brother because that's that's a whole other world, isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot of nepotism. Yeah, <laughs> in the NFL, you people are hiring their brothers, their brother-in-laws. I mean, it's just. But I mean, if the guy's qualified, that's fine. But boy, that just seems really tough. When you know, hey, I I love you as a coach, but hey, my boy over here is a better coach or guy I know, so let's bring him in. So. On, on, on a more sort of positive note, when you were coaching the linebackers in, in the Cardinals, um, you were looking after the likes of Dwight Freeney, Chandler Jones, Marcus Golden. Talk a little bit about that experience and who, who were the players that stuck out? Who were the players that maybe some of the, the, when they were a bit younger that were with you, obviously Dwight Freeney was in his latter days, but... Who were the players that, at the time, you were like, wow, this is going to be someone quite special? Well, wow. You know, I was really impressed with the white. You know, I like Chandler. Me and Chandler kind of cut up together a lot. But Marcus Golden was the one, when he came in, he really wanted to understand and learn the position. He was, he was a guy who was kind of an underdog in a lot of ways, not your typical outside linebacker when I'm talking about you know, being taller guys, guys who had a lot of length. He wasn't that guy, but, man, he had he had a heart, man. He had passion for the game. And, you know, Marcus is still playing now. I think, you know, with Marcus, what I like that he just – he wanted to take everything in. And he believed in me as a coach. You know, like Dwight Freeney, I was very impressed with. But Dwight, really, you didn't have to coach him that much because he, he was a veteran. He knew what he was doing. Basically, I was trying to get information from him on what he saw and how he approached things. And so with him, it really like he really helped me a whole lot as a coach, being an outside linebacker, although I played it in my college years, but to play in the NFL. And I was familiar with it because I played in the three, four for most of the part. But I mean, his basic way of really just rushing the pass, it wasn't anything fancy. It was just like, I'm, I'm getting off a ball. He never wasted a step. And he always told me he was a fastball pitcher. He was going to go speed, 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 and then occasionally he'd do a counter move. And it was kind of funny because the offensive tackles, they knew it, it was coming. It was just when it was coming. 
and he did a great job of setting it up. So I learned, I learned a great deal for him. I learned a great deal for all those guys, you know, just really trying to help them tune in on how they can be better players, you know. And, yeah, and the great thing I would tell you about the NFL player is that these guys are some of the best guys you ever want to coach. In our, in our media in the States, they want to make it. They want to make it think like, oh, college guys. The game is pure. The game is, you know, pandry. The game is rah rah rah. But the best guys, I think, are the ones that get to be on the NFL level because these guys are not only talented, but they're also very intelligent, great workers, and they want to get better. And as a coach. Man, that's like coaching AP classes. That's like coaching, that's like teaching honors class, you know, where the kid is really, he really wants to do well and he really wants to study. So I had a blast coaching those guys. I thought college was a little bit difficult because you're trying to groom these guys. And sometimes, you know, it's like pulling teeth. It was a little tough. So I like the college guys, but those guys, those three guys that you call were great guys. We had some other guys that were terrific as well. So I, I, I like coaching on that level because guys want to get better. And, and talking about um, pretty stunning guys, as we kind of come to last season, in 2020, the Cardinals drafted one of your fellow Clemson alumni in Isaiah Simmons in the first round of the draft. Have you got any kind of relationship with, with Isaiah as, as kind of both Clemson or have you been uh, not to really advice or talk to him at all? Not really. I've, I've talked to him. I, I spoke to him once because I went out to Clemson practice one time as before I was going to get my, when I got the ring of honor. So I talked to him, not in a, not in a, an extensive way, just a little bit, just saying, hello, how you doing? Things like that. I mean, in the college ranks, man, those those programs are, you know, a lot of times they're kind of closed off to you a little bit. And, you know, I don't think that I need to make uh, – <laughs> I go out there every once in a while. I really don't go to practice at all. So, you know, it's it's tough to develop a relationship with those guys. But um, he's a – he really – he's a talented player. He's an athletic player. For sure, uh, he didn't really. I don't think he really sparked as much as they wanted him to, but you can see the potential there, and hopefully next year, you know, it would be better for him. I don't really know the situation, so I can't speak on it. But a lot of times when you go to the NFL, Lawrence, a lot of things have to work out for you, you know. And what I mean by that is you got to get drafted to the right system, the right coach. You just gotta, and then you gotta stay healthy. So, uh, in a lot of ways, man, you just hope that you're in a situation that you like, and it's a situation that you can get better in. And that doesn't always happen to players. A lot of times, we like to, you know, tell, we like to shout that these other guys are bust. He's not even good. And that's a lot of times. That's usually not the problem. The problem is probably the system doesn't fit them well or the coach hasn't developed him as well either. So it's a two-way street with that. 
talking about coaches, the Cardinals linebackers coach back in 2016 was Larry Foote. So your path, I think, if I got this right, never quite crossed on the playing field back in 2002. It was your last season in the league and Foote's first with the Steelers. Um, Foote went on to win a Super Bowl with the Buccaneers this year. What, mm -hmm. what can you recall of, of Larry Foote kind of on and off the field? Oh, yeah, I, I think Larry's an excellent, excellent coach. I think the one thing that you always have to do as a coach is to be able to relate the information and relate the information that you know as a player, what you can give the players, and then also relate the the scheme. And Larry was always able to do that very well. I'm not sure, but I think he played in a 3-4 in Michigan. And so he played it in with Pittsburgh and – he knows the game pretty well, and he's young enough where he can really relate to the players, and he can talk their language. So I feel that, you know, Larry's a great coach. He's a great man. Seems to be a great father and husband, which is important as well. So he does – I think he does a tremendous job, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him, you know, get to a coordinator position. Um, being a linebacker coach, but I thought he was an excellent coach. I really, I learned a lot from him as well. And and obviously there's Larry Foot and and as you said, BA um, Bruce Arians was was your head coach at that time in the Cardinals. He's gone on to to win a Super Bowl. And I know you've mentioned a bit of of BA. Kind of what 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 is something that really stood out in those those times from BA in terms of what you what you learned from him or what what his character was like because to win a super bowl you have to be a special coach so yeah i, I think the great thing about ba was <clears throat> he was authentic it, he he basically was himself and i think that you can't really be great at something unless you're yourself and and maybe that doesn't go over for a lot of people but I think um, his brand of coaching really resonates well with the players and also the coaching. You won't hear too many coaches, I don't believe, that don't want to coach for BA because he's not about really, you know, there's this one thing that, you know, this myth that you had to stay, as an NFL coach, you had to stay in the office all day long. B.A. was the kind of guy, if your kids had a recital or they had a game, you better be at that game or you better be at their recital. You know, you can come back, but you better spend some time with your kids. And so that's one of the things I, I really did like about him. Also, he had a really good common sense about the game. He knew the game. He was He's willing to take risks where other coaches may not take risks. And sometimes that bites you, but sometimes that rewards you. And I, I, he, he's not afraid to risk. And a lot of people are afraid to take a risk. He's not, and I, I really believe that he believed him. He believes in himself so much that it resonates to his teams, and his teams end up being very good, very good teams. You know, with the Cardinals, we had a lot of success there, and you know. If it wasn't for Cam Newton, we probably would have been in the Super Bowl. But yeah, you know, I, I'm glad to see him win. It was um, it was tremendous. 
But it also goes to show that, you know, we can't always stereotype. We can't always say a coach has to be this way or that way. I think he's done it his way and, you know, he got rewarded for it. Join us for part two of the Levon Kirkland interview when he talks all about his experience in Super Bowl 30.